And we are going to continue with our Love One Another series. Our passage that we've used uh, for our base passage through this is 1 Corinthians 13, specifically verse 4, but I'm going to read Galatians 5, 20 through 26, which is our scripture for today. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. And then 1 Corinthians 13.4 says, We've studied love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. Let's pray to the Lord. Dear precious Father, again, open your word to us. Help us, Lord, where we need help. That your word may be proclaimed, that our hearts may hear it and receive it, and that our souls may respond as you lead us. It is in Jesus' name we pray, amen. We are focusing on that second half of verse 4, that love does not envy, love does not boast, love is not proud. We've been getting what love is, and love is patient, love is kind, and now uh, the, the tenor is changing a little bit to what it is not. It is not those three things. And th that passage in Galatians continues with that thought by saying it almost in a reverse order that we shouldn't be conceited, which is being boastful, and we shouldn't provoke each other or envy each other. Chapter 5 of Galatians is an encouragement to stand firm in Christ and to do that by walking in the Spirit. And Paul says if we walk in the Spirit, we will not gratify or indulge the ways of the flesh. Spirit, letting Him empower us, keep us full, will help keep us from those things that gratify the flesh. We all had to learn to walk. You may have been born with a head full of hair. You may have been long and heavy or short and small. But none of us emerged from the womb, stood on our feet, and walked away from the delivery table. Walking was a skill we had to learn to do. And here, I'm having to struggle learning how to do that some more with my knee problems. But how well we could walk depended on learning to balance and by gaining strength in our limbs. And we became coordinated, moving our arms and together to get to be able to walk. Got a picture here. First is... Uh, picture of Stone Mountain, Georgia. I don't know if you've ever been able to see it. Sue and I lived outside of uh, Stone Mountain in Lithonia, Georgia, back in the 70s. And it is a huge rock outcropping. It's billed as the largest granite outcropping in the world, and the geologists take issue with that. Well, granite, its coarse and, uh, 
and granite and some other stuff, but it is big. It's five miles around the circumference, and it uh, stands 825 feet above the local land there, so it, it really stands out. And when you're on top of it, you can see Atlanta in the distance and gives you quite the view. You can walk up the back side of it, or they do have those tram things that carry you up there. Not far from that, well, I want to say the second picture is a relief they did on that, a base relief you may have seen of some Confederate people. That is the largest base relief in the world that they cut in there. And during the summers, particularly, Stone Mountain does a laser light show. And they'll start the show, they, they will outline all of the characters and the horses, and then they'll have them run off the side of the mountain. And then they'll put on a show, all kinds of things, and then when the show ends, they come back around the other side and they move back into place. It's really quite the, the spectacle to see. But not too far from there, about 10 miles to the southeast, is another mountain called Arabia Mountain. It's the same kind of thing. It's a large outcropping of rock. It's not nearly as big. And the reason I'm bringing all this up is to make this point. At one, on one time, Sue and I were visiting the park and we had Glenn in tow with us. Our son was about four years old. Sue's taking pictures from the back of us and later as we looked at the pictures and the videos, it was amazing how much Glenn's walk was just like his dad. It, 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 he was a little me, literally, as we were going up the hill there. And that's what we try to picture as a Christian, walking in our Father's footsteps. As you were growing up, you may have done that, tried to step where your dad stepped. And of course, his stride was bigger than you, and it was a challenge. Or maybe you stood on his feet as he walked, and you kind of walked with them. And I hope that each and every one of you had a father whose footsteps you want to follow in. And that is a beautiful picture of a Christian. As a Christian, we try to walk as our Savior and Lord walked. In verse 16 of Galatians 5, Paul tells us to walk by the Spirit. And that Holy Spirit is the third person of our triune God. For too long and too many people have tried to reduce the Holy Spirit to just not a person, but just kind of the Spirit of God. But that's not what the Bible teaches. He is a person. And He is so important that Jesus said, I must go, but if I go, I'm going to send you a comforter. And He will indwell you and He will teach you all things. He will imbue you with wisdom. He will imbue you with knowledge. And Jesus saw that His going was valuable because then the Holy Spirit can indwell each and every Christian. When Jesus was here on earth, He was in a finite body. He could only be in one place at a time. But by His going and the Holy Spirit coming, the Holy Spirit can indwell each and every believer and walk with each and every believer. And so we can walk in the Spirit, having the Spirit to lead and guide us in every step of the way all through the day, giving us insight, giving us wisdom, if we will listen, if we will rely.
on Him. And over and over, we're enjoined to rely on the Holy Spirit for that guidance, wisdom, strength, and knowledge. How much better could we do than having God Himself indwelling within us? Because that's what it is with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is that part of God inside of each one of us, giving us the resources of God, all of His knowledge and wisdom. The limiting factor is our listening, our hearing, not what God has to say. And so, because of the Holy Spirit being within us, God Himself there, we have that promise God first made to Joshua. Moses had passed. God is passing the mantle on to Joshua to lead the Israelites. And God says to him in Joshua 1.5, specifically this B part, but the first part, he says, As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And the author of Hebrew reminds us of that. That God has promised never to leave us, never to forsake us. And that is so because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit within us. He is with us everywhere we go. As Christians, just like those toddlers, we sometimes stumble and fall. It happens a lot in the toddler's life. It happens in a young Christian's life. When a toddler falls, they don't stay down for long. They may lay there for a minute, upset, or maybe they bruised a knee and they cry a little bit. But before we know it, they're up and running around to something else. There's something they want to see, something they want to do. And so they're up learning how to walk. And they soon fall again, but they get back up. And they picture how we ought to be as Christians. We as Christians will fall when we go after the ways of the Lord. We'll slip, we'll stumble, but like those toddlers, we shouldn't stay down. Wipe out the hurt. Let the Lord touch us. Let the Lord encourage us. And then we get up and we keep going after those things of Christ. Part of going after the things of Christ is loving others. And today God's Word is teaching us to do that without envy without boasting, without provoking others with our conceit. Jealousy is a normal thing that we face. We're all jealous from time to time. Maybe as a child you're jealous of a toy that another one has that you wish you could have. As a teenager, it might be the smartphone that someone has that you wish you had that model. Or as a boy especially, that maybe it's that rad car that your friend has and you're tired of driving your old beater passed down from your sister or brother. We get jealous of things that other people have. As adults, we, we struggle with that. Desiring better is a normal desire. But when it becomes envy, that is not good for us. Envy is an inordinate desire to possess what the other has. This drive is so dangerous that God addressed it in the Ten Commandments thousands of years ago. In the Tenth Commandment, the last one, Exodus 20, 17, 
God says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his female servant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. That covetous spirit comes from envy. It comes from looking at that, desiring it and saying, I deserve that as much or more than they do. And then going after to get it, taking what isn't yours, ruining homes, taking possessions. Coveting comes from that envying with the lust to possess. To possess. Lust is any inordinate desire. It's not just sensual areas. Lust is that desire to go beyond admiring what another person has to wanting what they have even to the point of taking what isn't ours. God outlines specifically in that verse our neighbor's house, wife, and possessions. And too many people across the ages have so desired what their neighbor has as to take action to possess it for themselves. So Paul says, do not envy. Just nip it in the bud, as Barney Fife would say. He calls us not to be boastful. And there in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 and Galatians, he says, don't be conceited. It's one thing to take pride in what you've done, what you've accomplished. That's appropriate. It's appropriate when you have a success to be proud of what you've done. But then that other word there that I use, going from pride to proud, is where the downfall comes. Because when we become proud, that's usually a step too far. And it, we use it to vault ourselves over other people. To make ourselves feel and to belittle other people that we're better than them. We've accomplished more than them. We do better than them. And so that being proud or conceited provokes others to anger and envy. It can lead some to an act in rage and others to become depressed. Being boastful is to ignore from forgetting that you have been blessed by God. What talents you have come from God. What spiritual gift you have comes from God. What genetic makeup you have comes from God through your parents. And we really can't take all the credit for that. And to take credit for our success is to commit blasphemy against God. Blasphemy is not giving God His due credit. And so God bestows these blessings on us. He bestows us with a good home where we're reared with loving parents that teach us. He bestows us with abilities and talents, with the ability to think. And we know we're all different. Some are great at math. Others are better at science. Some are better at, at uh, other tasks. And it doesn't make one better to be better in one area than another. It means you're just in a different area. But by being boastful, taking credit for that, thinking we're something we're not, and then lording over other people is what can bring that provoking that can happen to others. Those behaviors listed cause turmoil in the body of Christ and in our relationships with each other. 
And that's the opposite of what we're to do. We're to create a peaceful fellowship in which all people know they're loved. We are to create a peaceful relationship so that they know they are loved by their supreme creator and loved by his followers. Loved for who they are, not for what they do or for how much they give, but loved because they're loved by the Father, because they're his special creation. Paul writes in Romans 12:18, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And that's not an easy thing. We know that. We know some people can take us to our last nerve. They can rile us up. There are some that can just look at us and we're set off on them. It's just human nature. But we're called upon to be at peace with that person. A couple of weeks ago, I showed a video of children talking about love, giving their definition. And if you remember one girl, she said, if you want to love, go to that you hate the most and practice loving on it. That's really wise advice. Hating or loving the one we hate the most, loving what we hate the most is a challenge, but that's where we exercise and grow strong, where we make peace with the one with whom we want to wring their necks. That's a challenge. That takes the strength of God to do. That takes the power of the Holy Spirit to be able to love those people who are different than us, who think different, who want to do different, who are from different generations and want to do different. But we're called by God to make peace and to be at peace as far as we can to do that. There's more than enough trouble strife and turmoil in the world. I don't have to tell you that. Others should not receive those things at the hands of Christians. They should feel loved for who they are, accepted and esteemed. Holding one another in esteem does not reduce who we are. That's often the fear. That if I hold you in high esteem, I'm reducing myself. And that's not it at all. It's actually the opposite. When we practice that of building others up, of holding them in esteem, we're showing the depth of our confidence and stability in the Lord. Additionally, to hold another one up in high esteem does not mean that we think they are perfect. It doesn't mean that they don't need improvement. Rather, it is the faith that they are able to achieve more through the power of the Holy Spirit and the encouragement and the instruction from others. One area to me that I hold great value in, that I think the best way to show value in a person is to believe that they can learn, that they can grow, that they can change. And one of the worst things you can say to me, is they'll never change. They'll always be that way. To me, that's dismissing them. It's saying they don't have that capacity and I don't accept that. I was fortunate to be part of a great high school choir led by a wonderful director, Mary Jones. In our senior year, we sang traditional classics 
but she also gave place in the program to some of the current and popular favorites. Some of you may remember Peace Train by Cat Stevens. We sang that one, along with a lot of others. As part of the program one year, I think our senior year, she asked me to read a poem written in 1927 by Max Ehrman titled Desiderata. It's going to be displayed on the screen, and I'm going to read it and invite you to go along with it. Go placidly amid the noise and haste, and remember what peace there is in service. I'm going to have to read it in this one. As far as possible, without surrender, be on good terms with all persons. That's that peace we're talking about. Speak your truth quietly and clearly, and listen to others, even to the dull and the ignorant. They too have their story. Avoid loud and aggressive persons. They are vexous to the spirit. If you compare yourself with others, you may become vain or bitter. For always there will be greater and lesser persons than yourself. Enjoy your achievements as well as your plans. Keep interested in your own career, however humble. It is a real possession in the changing fortunes of time. Exercise caution in your business affairs, for the world is full of trickery. But let this not blind you to what is virtue there is. Many persons strive for high ideals, and everywhere life is full of heroism. Be yourself. Especially do not feign affection. Neither be cynical about love, for in the face of all aridity and disenchantment, it is as perennial as the grass. Take kindly the counsel of the years, gracefully surrendering the things of youth. Nurture strength of spirit to shield you and sudden misfortune, but do not distress yourself with dark imaginings. Many fears are born of fatigue and loneliness. Beyond a wholesome discipline, be gentle with yourself. You are a child of the universe, no less than the trees and the stars. You have a right to be here. Whether or not it is clear to you, no doubt the universe is unfolding as it should. Therefore, be at peace with God, whatever you conceive Him to be. And whatever your labors and aspirations and the noisy confusion of life, keep peace in your soul with all its sham, drudgery, and broken dreams. It is still a beautiful world. Be cheerful. Strive to be happy. Good words. They're a little more ecumenical or, uh, or uh, open-ended than we would agree with, perhaps. But all of those are true under Christ. They're more true under Christ. They're more true as a child of God. And one of the things that we have that we can teach, and we can teach our young people, is because there is a Creator God who formed them fearfully and wonderfully, who gave us our appearance, our talents, we are a magnificent creation. We're not a series of molecules, of blobs that came together by accident over thousands of millions of years. We're not an accident of nature, a freak of nature. We were created by the Almighty. The Bible tells us, David recites that 
You saw me in my womb before I was born. Your hands knit my inmost parts. We may have trouble believing that because we don't like something about our appearance. We don't like something about our body. But the Supreme Creator, apart from disease, made us who He knew we needed to be so that we could glorify Him, so that we could have life. And we can take great esteem in that, that I am not an accident, that I am a creation of the Most High God. And so we need to say that to each other. And that's why Paul says in Romans 12, 18, as far as it is possible without surrender, be on good terms with all persons. We think differently. We look at things differently. But we're all souls created by Him with value. And we need to recognize that in each other and take that time to get to know each other so that we can understand. We may not agree, but we can understand. So Jesus said, love one another. By all this, all men shall know you are my disciples if you have love one for another. We are ambassadors for Christ. So let us be capable ambassadors displaying love for others. And let's get there. Let us work on what we need to do to do that well. Let us be tremendous ambassadors for Christ leading others to know Him, to worship Him, to serve Him. Join me as we stand and close in prayer. Our final song. Please stand. Our precious Heavenly Father, You gave me a shorter sermon, but it's packed full of information that we need to process. Lord, each and every person here struggles with the attitudes that are contained within these scriptures. We can be provoking of others, inciting to the wrong behavior, making them angry, teasing them, ridiculing them, making them want to lash out, or we can be a source of peace. We can be a source of safety we can be a source of love. Father, You've done that for us. You've loved us when we were unlovely. You created us in Your image. It's gotten corrupted by sin. But rather than throw us out as a worthless piece of clay, You've continued to work molding us, making us as we'll yield ourselves to You who You would have us to be. Lord, You've given us a message to take to our world that there is a God, that there is a God, and there is a God on the cross of Calvary who died and rose again so that we might have life eternal. Lord, as we come closer and closer to the Easter season, we'll soon go into Lent. We'll soon be in the Holy Week. We'll soon be celebrating 
the resurrection on the Easter Sunday. Lord, help us to live out that resurrection in our lives by yielding to you each and every day in every way, walking with our Father. All these things, Lord, I pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen.